during the week challenged by, by my wife just around, do we honestly believe what the Word of God says? Because if we honestly did believe it, <clears throat> we'd walk it out, wouldn't we? And so in all of what we do, yes, we want to find the truth of it and not uh, you know, change it. But the, at the end of the day, is, are we, do we just simply believe in a God? Then we might as well call ourselves agnostics. Or do we believe in what God says and do we follow the injunctions that he gives us in his word? And his word is the primary focus or point of that. So as, we, as I finish off this, uh, as you know, in the last two talks, is <clears throat> we're talking about the temple reflections. And the fact is that when you walk into the temple, the first thing you do um, is you come across an altar of burnt offerings. And yes, in those days, it was all about the produce and animals, but that's changed. The principle remains the same. For us, it's actually what we, what we earn on a day-to-day -day basis and, or a monthly or weekly basis and what we would come and give an offering to God for. And we looked at the, the principle of first fruits in the, the first thing that I, that I shared on. And God doesn't need our money. God doesn't actually need us to come and give anything to Him. It's not for us. When we come and give an offering, it's actually for ourselves because God is trying to deal with our hearts and we are born with what we call a sinful nature. And that sinful nature and that drag and that flesh, as the Bible calls it, is a selfishness and a greed. And God is wanting to deal with that. And we're not talking about a prosperity message. We're not talking about, well, I want to give something so I get. No, we want to get so we can give and become a generous people. And what I shared was in the Old Testament, the principle of the first which I'm not going to go through. You can listen to the podcast on that one. And the tithe. It is the, the tithe that God has called us into, which goes all the way into the New Testament, which I'll mention in a moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then we looked at the tithes, because there are a whole bunch of tithes mentioned in the Bible, and the teruma. And unfortunately, the recording didn't come out. And so I will look to see if I can uh, re-record that with Paul at some point. Um, and what that talks about is a teruma is a 140th, which is given through to your spiritual teacher or leader. Um, and what they do is, it's, and in this case, was given into the priests, and the priests would take it and hold it up, as Rich said just now, bless it, and uh, it was 140th of whatever came in. And I'm not going to go into those details right now. And then there was the, the Massa Rashan, which was the 10th which is the tithe that we've covered. There was the Ma'asa Sheni, which was a second tithe, which was yourself for savings and for yourself. And we went through all those scriptures. And then there was the, the Ma'asa Ani, which was a tithe to the poor. Now, I've got there every third month. What that is, is but obviously their crops and everything else happen on an annual basis. The, the animals would give birth on a kind of an annual basis. And so what would happen was for two years, you would take that for yourself. But on the third year, you would give that to the poor. For us, it's on a monthly basis. We get given a salary, and this is a system, an Hebraic system, which they followed. First to God, first fruits. First to the priesthood in terms of the tithe. Second to yourself. And then third, you would give to the poor. And that was the process that God put in place. And then there was the free will offerings. Whenever you felt that uh, you wanted to give in terms of that context, you would give. And then there was the extravagant giving, which we covered in Exodus 25 in terms of the building of the tabernacle. And then lastly, 1 Chronicles 29, which was the building of the temple. Now, the New Testament, what does it talk about? We've, we've looked at these patterns. And I want to say up front, and I hopefully say it a few times this morning, is why do we have the Old Testament? Now, you have some people who go, don't worry about the Old Testament. 
No, no, we've been given patterns. <laughs> Those patterns we take, and they are foreshadows of what the New Testament should look like. So when people go, oh, no, we don't tithe anymore. Tithing was never something that was in a legalistic, uh, it was in a legal form, but it came before the, the, the law came into place. And so what God is wanting to show us is there are patterns that he's put in place that if in the New Testament that talks more about generosity than anything else. But the patterns underpin that. So you can use the teruma as a pattern from which you express your generosity. Does that make sense? You can work out in your heart how God has called you to be a generous person, but he's provided patterns for us on which to launch ourselves and be a generous people. So we're going to cover right now, Matthew, uh, you'll see, uh, we already covered the tithe, and that was in the first session, and that was Matthew 23 when Jesus augments that, and Hebrews, uh, uh, whether it was Paul or the writer of Hebrews augments that, and then what we have is offerings for things, we're going to cover 1 Corinthians 9, ad hoc and extravagance, there we go again, then we're going to have translocal giving, 1 Corinthians 8, family giving, and arms, the duty of all of us, Galatians 2 verse 10, and uh, like I've said, we've covered the tithe. And we've covered the principle of the uh, first fruits. And the important thing here is that we're not under the law. This is a heart thing. This is what God is wanting to transact in our hearts. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little bit differently. As you can see, I'm going to, go, I'm going to reverse engineer this. We've done number one. I'm going to start at number five. And I'm going to work my way up and finish at number two. All right, so just so we're not confused. So number five, almsgiving or giving to the poor. This is what prepares people for the gospel. When we give to the poor, it prepares people's hearts for the gospel. And there's a Hebrew word called tzedakah. Try to say that again. Tzedakah. Okay? And what it means is righteousness revealed. Now, tzedakah was a Hebrew way in which people would give to the poor. That actually it was a responsibility under, and under the, the Hebraic understanding and culture was that part of your income would be given to the poor on a regular basis. And that was an expression of righteousness, right standing with God. And uh, God's always been interested in the poor. Acts 10 verse 4, Cornelius, an angel appears to him, and he says, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Imagine that. Imagine the way that you gave to poor people came up as a memorial in God's throne room. Mark 10 21. This is the story of the rich young ruler who comes and says, hey, I've done everything for you, Lord. I've done this, I've done that. He says, well, one thing you haven't done, sell everything and give it to the poor. Whew, I can't do that. Galatians 2 verse 10, as Paul says, and they asked us to do all of these things, but then to continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Ezekiel 16, 49, going back to the Old Testament. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant overfed and unconcerned, they did not help the poor and the needy. And because of this, I did away with them. So I, th I think the poor are important to God. I know people quote that text, and I can't recall the exact uh, scripture, but when Jesus says, oh, the poor will always, be will always be with us, don't worry about them. No, no, that's not what he was saying. You've got to read the context. It's God is concerned with the poor. Now, there's two types of poor that we need to be concerned with. There are those who are below the breadline. We need to just provide for them. Most of those guys who are standing there looking after your car or at the traffic lights, they are below the breadline. They, they don't have a job. They don't have anything to help them. And what you do is out of the generosity of your heart, you give to them 
really just to help them feed themselves and their families. With no expectation of return, nothing, just here we go. But I do believe that there's a second part to, to helping the poor. And that second part is to actually partner with them. And actually lift them above the bread line and actually help them. And it's the good old thing is you can give somebody a fish, but actually teach them to fish. Then they can fish them for themselves every day. So where can we? Where, where are there moments where you can engage? And you go, oh, I'm not really a business person. But how about the domestic worker in your home? How can you uplift them that they are no longer your domestic worker but actually start to run their own businesses? What about the guy who, who's just come into your business and he's out of the gardener or the janitor or whatever else? How about helping him or her get a driver's license and set them up in a career business? I mean, I'm throwing things out here that I haven't even got in my notes. I'm just saying to you that what we need to do is think beyond ourselves and go, how do we help the people that are closest to us first and foremost? Pay them better than the daily wage that's going out there. And secondly, how do we partner with them? One of the things Louise and I have done with Josephine, who works for us, is I said, Josephine, keep looking for a house. We want to help you buy a house. And then, of course, we hit the season where we don't have anything to help. But I know God's going to release resources to us because there's going to be a day where Josephine's going to come to me and say, I found a house, and I'm going, great. This is how we're going to go about it. Do you see the heart of what we're trying to say to people is how do we partner with those who don't have a lot? And how do we elevate them economically into a place where they can walk in the freedom and the economic freedom that God has for them? So we go to family next. How's this for a scripture? Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household have denied the faith on are worse than an unbeliever. Just let that sink in. Now, I've probably been asked this question more than most, is what often happens is, is a couple have a family member, a mom or a dad, on either side of the family, and uh, those particular people haven't, or mom and dad, haven't looked after, made some bad decisions, they're in financial difficulty, and now it's up to the kids to look after them. Well, guess what? You know when it says, honor your mom and dad? That's not talking to our children now. I'm talking about Louise and I. That's actually talking about when you're at a point where your parents now need to be taken care of that you look after them economically. That's honoring your parents. And so in that process, are we honoring our parents, even if they've made bad decisions? Are we honoring our parents and making sure that they are taken care of and that their needs are looked after? Now, there's a caveat to this thing, because often what happens is, is you can have parents who were you honoring, but what they're doing is, is they are not honoring you by taking responsibility for their own actions. And so they continue to go about wasting resources when you are trying to provide for them. That's when you start to set in boundaries. And if they don't follow those boundaries, then you start to give them ultimatums in terms of how they need to follow. Does that make sense? Because often what happens is you can have family members who will actually suck you dry that you won't even have your own food to, 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 to feed your own kids because your mom or your dad or whatever the case is is not following the biblical injunction of honoring you as their kids. So your first step is always this verse. But your next step, if you go read uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and it talks about the widows, is actually there's a process and the principle is the same thing. We try and provide for our widows here. We provide monthly 
for some widows in this, in this community from the stuff that we get in the church because it's a biblical injunction. It's a principle. If you're a widow in this community and we don't know that, then come and speak to us because we want to follow that biblical injunction. There it is. If we don't, look what will happen. So we want to look after them. But then we don't want the widows who are going to come. And then we, I had somebody call me some years ago and say, I'm really needing money. They weren't a widow. They were a single lady in our church. Um, and uh, I said, okay, so you know, give me some more background or whatever else. And this particular person um, owned a horse and had it in a stable and was looking after the horse. But wasn't, didn't have food on the table because was spending, who knows how much it costs to look after a horse. I can see. Yeah, it's probably more than a teenager. But the point is, 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 is a horse is very expensive to look after. And if you're in a place that you can't care for the horse, you can't be putting your money into that and then asking the church for help. And I said to this person, so are you, are you serving in the community? No, I don't have time. But go read 1 Timothy chapter 6. Yeah, you're too busy looking after your horse, which you can't afford. But the point is, is I said, I'm sorry, we can't help you. And that person left the church. So there are biblical injunctions that say to us, yes, we want to help. Our first response is always, how can we help? With the context of your family, must always be that response. But there is a responsibility on those you help, that they are also helping themselves in the context of where they're at, and not just taking what you're giving them and wasting it. Does that make sense? Okay, thirdly, translocal. Okay, so let's go and let's, uh, before we read this text, is... Translocal gifts propel the work of the gospel. So as much as giving to your family and giving to the poor prepares people for the gospel, this propels the gospel. What, what are we talking about? We'll be talking about fivefold gifts here. We're talking about a translocal giving. The text that I'm about to read is in the context of translocal giving. It's not in the context of a local church. It's the Macedonian church who is given through to Paul, and he's an apostolic figure in their, their particular setup. It's not the local church, although it's from the local church, if that makes sense. And so practically what this is from our perspective is men and women who come into this church, and Alexander Fenter, who preached there not so long ago. We've got Greg, Greg and Sue Stevens coming in in a few weeks' time. We've had Ryan Matthews. We've had uh, Paul Tartel, etc. These are men and women with, with fivefold gifts. What is a fivefold gift? Well, go read Ephesians chapter 4. And it says, you what? Apostles? Prophets? Evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Each one of those particular individuals would have a specific gifting that would come and deposit, and it says, especially an apostle comes and helps build and firm the foundations. I speak to Paul Tottle at least on a weekly basis. I speak to um, Alexander Fenter a couple of times a month. I sit with him. We work through stuff. He's a man who's written books. He's actually taken a sabbatical right now, and I'm still going to be meeting up with him in his sabbatical to work through some theological things that I'm trying to understand, that he's had this lifetime of understanding and written books about them. Now, when he comes into our midst and he comes and he deposits into the church, what, it is, is, what is our response? Well, let's read the text. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, notice, it's not just one church, it's churches. In the midst of a severe trial. Okay, so <laughs> let's, I'm going to take the... I'm going to take the text off there because you, you should have it on your Bibles in front of you. So, in the midst of a severe trial, in other words, it's not easy. It wasn't like, oh, we've got all of this uh, abundance. Let's just give some to Alexander, for example. No, no. In, 
the midst of a severe trial, they overflow in joy. These words are kind of juxtaposed to each other, aren't they? And in their extreme poverty, not just poverty, but extreme poverty, what welled up in them was rich generosity. Rich generosity welled up in their hearts when they had received the deposit of a translocal gift and they responded by giving in rich generosity. It says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. Yes, so important. They gave themselves first to the Lord. We wouldn't be not, they would not be able to respond the way they did unless they were with the one who responded the way he did to us. Jesus responded by giving his life. The Father responded by giving his only son because of his love for us. And because of that, they gave themselves first to the Lord. Out of that grace, grace welled up in them. And despite their trials, despite their extreme poverty, there was joy in their hearts to be able to give and actually plead to have the privilege of being part of that giving. And then by the will of God, they also gave to us. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, and knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Imagine what a community would look like if we excel in the grace of giving. But remember, we will never excel in the grace of giving unless we are with the one who has made perfect the grace of giving. When we have a revelation of what Jesus has done for us, then that gets imparted to us and he enables us through the Holy Spirit to give us the grace to give the way he wants us to give. So, now we move on to the last part of what I've got and to end this particular mini-series within our series, is what are offerings? Okay, offerings are for things. Remember, tithes to rumor are for people. And isn't it interesting that uh, across the world today, and specifically in the context of Lifehouse, I've already mentioned this, people have given towards a lot towards the things, but when it comes to the people, that is waning so our tithes and our teruma are given towards people so that they can live out in this context of the temple to the priests. The offerings are given so that things can be done. We can build a building. We can do certain things. We can travel. We can do a whole bunch of things that God wants us to do. I've always wondered why that is. And I think maybe it's because the, the, he has a building and we can say, well, hey, we, I, I gave and I paid for all the bricks in that wall. There's something there. There's a memorial. There's something you've left. When it comes to people, it's a bit nebulous. What, what are they going to do with the money that I give them? But actually, you're giving it to God, not to the people. But you hear what I'm trying to say? Where is it in our psyche, in our hearts, in our understanding, in the truth that we believe that we can easily give towards things, but we can less give towards people? From the start, I've got Grant as my witness here. From the start, when we started up the church, we've got different bank accounts. Go onto our website. We've got bank accounts. We've got a current account, which obviously is our operational. We've got a savings account for almsgiving. We have got an uh, operational account where we can save, but we've got a translocal giving account, and we've got a property account for offerings. So we've got all these different accounts, which we've actually put in place. And in some ways, I feel like a, a bit of a wally because we're not using them. But imagine if we had the abundance in each one of those areas and we had those in their particular buckets. The whole intention in our heart is that people would give into those particular buckets so we can be a conduit, 
Isaiah 60 spoken over us. Isaiah 60 on our um, amazing painting that Anita has done for us. Go read the inscription of Isaiah 60 on there. Is the fact that we would be a breadbasket for this area, for Johannesburg, for South Africa. Not for ourselves. God's going to give us resources, but are we faithful with the little that we do have so that we can then pass it on and give it to the people that desperately need it? So let's read this text. By the way, we've got a financial feedback, financial thing uh, of LifeHouse feedback after this meeting. Obviously, we're not having our family day for obvious reasons. Um, but uh, we just didn't want the kids to get wet on the slide. But um, <laughs> the, the point is we've got a financial... If you want to stick around, we're going to maybe have some quick coffee and, and grab something and then come sit down. And Richard and, and Grant are going to give some feedback around where we are financially. And you'll see where the needs are in terms of offerings. So... Here are the general principles. Let's go for it. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Is, but I say to you, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give that his purpose in his heart. See, notice that again. Not under compulsion. Not begrudgingly. Or out of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. There we go again. Then you, also having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, may him who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything, for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also, the abound, also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. As you can see, this is the New King James Version. While through the proof of ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience and confession of the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them all. And by their prayer for you, who long... For you, because of your exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for this incredible gift. Or indescribable gift. So isn't it interesting that Paul calls the grace of giving an indescribable gift? We cannot do all of what I'm saying and what I've been preaching on for the last three weeks on our own. We actually need a gift from God which can only come from him if we are with him. God doesn't work with FedEx. So let's have a quick look at these principles and start to land this. So it's interesting that generosity is an expression of righteousness. Tzedekah. Righteousness revealed. When you are generous, righteousness is displayed in your generosity to this world around us. And we'll see the effects of that. We're going to look at what reaping and sowing is. We're going to look at what you decide in your heart to give, a test of need, a test of greed. And God provides seed to the sower, and the results is increase, blessing, glory to God, and thanksgiving to God. So let's have a quick look at each one of these things. Reaping what you sow. Where else is that described in the Bible? I've already mentioned one of them. When you are given little and you steward it well, you are given more. And Jesus says in Luke 6.38, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, 
will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Kind of another way of saying you will reap what you sow. The promise isn't there to motivate us to give. It's actually, and to kind of take a fear away from us. Really what it's saying is, is there's a reward that's out there that God wants to flow to you, but it depends on how much you are willing to invest in it. If you invested 10 rand in Bitcoin, what are you going to get back? If you invested 100,000 in Bitcoin, what would you have got back as the market's changed? Decide in your heart. This is a hard attitude. From, from start to finish, we are talking about our hearts. Only you can decide. Only you can decide with the help of Holy Spirit where and what level of giving you have got inside of you and how you walk this road out. I can't tell you. No one else can tell you. So please don't come to me and say, Gary, I'm thinking of giving this. What do you think? I've had people come up to me and say, I'm wanting to give X amount into the church. What do you think? That's amazing. Thank you. That'll really help us as a church. Oh, but I've decided I'm not going to give it as a first fruit. I'm, I'm only going to give it over a certain amount of months. Okay, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if God has said give it, then give it. Don't now negotiate with God how you're going to give it. Because you know what will happen? After three or four months, you'll go, oh, God's changed his mind. <laughs> and you laugh. It has happened. Believe it or not, the natural state of our hearts is that we are begrudging givers. We will struggle with this generosity thing with tithes and offerings. So don't, don't get all condemned about it. I'm right there with you. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, okay, Lord. Or you type out, oh, jeez, tithe. Okay, enter. It's hard sometimes when you don't see the abundance that we are talking about. But the interesting thing is God is trying to deal with ungratefulness. He wants us to be grateful. He wants us to be unselfish. He wants us to be generous. He says he loves a cheerful giver, not one who's sucking lemons. So notice what Paul says here. He says God is able. Just take you back. Where does it say it? Each one of us should give because God is able. So can you see that verse 8 actually gives us a connection with verse 6 and 7 and it's telling us that every step of this generosity starts with faith. Do we believe, because he has our test of need, <laughs> do we believe that when we give, that God's going to supply our needs? I wish I could say that every time. I've been disappointed in the last few years. God, are you going to supply? Test of need. Are you going to supply my needs? Because it goes on to talk about this whole thing of we always have sufficiency in all things. So am I, do I believe that as I give, the test of need is God is going to supply and give me sufficient for what I need? Not what I want, what I need. What I can do is I can look back over the last few years and I'm going, God, you've done that. Like in the most incredible ways, from the most unlikely sources. And so I go, okay, God, you have. You've supplied our needs. Just when we're about to get to a place that we don't have money to put in the food, someone comes and gives, what? Amazing. So I know God provides for us. But now we get a test of our greed. Because now God starts to bless us. And God gives you that bonus. 
And you go, oh, do I really need to tithe on the bonus now? Oh, I'll tithe on it, but I'll, I'll take the tax off. Or I'll, and you start to negotiate with God. And that's what we do. Because we are begrudging givers. So we always get the test of greed. God's now blessed you, and now you start to debate and work this thing out with them, how you can lower what you give. So let's have a quick look at this next thing, because now he says he gives us bread and seed, or seed and bread. This is probably one of the most important things that if we can grasp, we will understand what God is trying to say. Number one, do we pass the test of seed? So are we passing the test of need? Are we passing the test of greed? Now we need to understand, are we going to pass the test of seed? What, what are we talking about? God provides seed for the sower and bread to eat. So Yonggi Chao, if you've ever heard the story, Yonggi Chao leads one of the, 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 the uh, biggest churches in Korea, I think it is. And uh, when they had the whole battle with um, Japan some years ago, and uh, they're all hiding out, and his grandfather's got a bag of rice seed. And Yonggi says to his grandfather, Grandfather, I'm so hungry, can't we eat the seed? He said, My boy, if we eat this, we don't have anything for the future. Too many people eat their seed and don't sow it. And if you eat your seed, you don't have anything to sow, you've got no form of multiplication. So, let's take that into account. Because the next thing is, is, there's a principle of seed time and harvest. And you can go to Genesis 8.22 and you'll see it. It says, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall never cease. See, we think we can be clever. And we don't think that we can follow seed time harvest. We want, as Proverbs said, we want to gain wealth quickly. When actually it says, if you gain wealth quickly, it is quickly lost. But there is something where we invest where we sow seed, and then there's a time and a delay before we harvest. So, number three. Notice that it doesn't say God supplies seed to the keeper. He provides seed to the, the sower. So, I've heard people go, you know, there's some successful people in our midst, oh, you should, I wish I was like Rich because he's got money. Um, why do you think he's got money? Because I know of the generosity in this man's heart. See, we all stand back and we look at someone else and say, why has God blessed them so much? I guarantee you behind that blessing is a generous heart that is not withheld but is given. Look at even Warren Buffett. Look at... All of these guys who are multi-multi-millionaires and how much they give away. That didn't just happen then. They must have been generous all the way through their lives and just allowed that to flow through them and God just kept blessing them. I believe the blessing helps even with non-Christians. I believe it's a principle that you reap what you sow. And if you're a generous person, God supplies more to you. So he provides seed to the sower. And as you sow... Guess what? It multiplies. It's amazing. If you go and you look at, take a piece of corn and you get the corn seeds and you put it in the ground, what happens? All these plants come up and each one has a different thing and more corn and more corn and more corn. Take the seeds in an apple. 
How many seeds are there to build apple trees, to have seeds, to have fruit, to have... There's this multiplication impact that starts to happen. Genesis 11 says, sorry, 1.11 says, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed in itself is on the earth. So, do you see, if you, we, we think this, I'm going to plant an apple tree because I want pears. And then when the tree produces apples, you go, what's wrong with God? Think about that for a second. So either we don't sow, or we do sow, but we want to sow in a certain way. So actually, God, I'm not going to give my tithing to my local church. I'm going to go give it to Auntie Anne, who's off on some mission somewhere in outer Asia, and I'm going to give it to her. And then we wonder why nothing comes back. Are we going to plant what God has said to plant? The seeds that he's asked us to plant, or are we going to be so dwarf and still breathe and go, okay, I'm going to miss out on this. Secondly, you only reap after you sow. Jeez, Gary, you've been profound this morning. <laughs> but we forget this, don't we? You've actually got to take the seed and put it in the ground in order for it to grow. If we don't plant it, if we don't sow it, it can never grow. How often I've heard this. When, when I get some money, I'll, 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 I'll sow. Now take, take the little bit that you have. The widow's might. It's not the amount. God has said, sow something. Maybe if you're struggling with, with tithes and offerings, maybe all you do is you give into the church the teruma, one fortieth of what you earn. That's not much. One fortieth. God says that's the first fruit. The biblical principle. Just giving. Start somewhere. Start with the little that you have. And actually be faithful with the little. And then God entrusts you with more. Number six. The last one. We'll always reap more than we sow. Like I've just said. <laughs> when you sow something, it generates and multiplies but it multiplies in its own kind, like I've already said. Psalm 126 says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing sheaves. Sometimes when you sow, it is with tears. It's like, God, I don't know this is what you've said, but guess what? The harvest will come and joy will come and the tears will disappear as you harvest what God has caused to, for you to be harvested because... Seed, time, harvest. So the question is, is do we understand that this whole process is about the transformation of our hearts? Because God transforms the giver's heart way more than the receiver. Do we pass the test of need? Do we pass the test of greed? And do we pass the test of seed? I'm going to say this again. This is a heart issue. This comes down to all of that. We, if we are giving because we go, God, I'm going to give to get, we will nullify the principles that God has put in place. God rewards generosity because we are with the one who is generous. He gives us the grace to give. Then lastly, what are the results? Yeah, and I think it's stopped again. The results of generosity. Let me just see if I've covered everything. Yeah. The results of generosity is that there's increase. We've read the text. 
There's increase, there's blessing, God is glorified, and people are impacted. Now, there's some text here. I don't know if you ever know of that text called Romans 2 verse 12. It says, the kindness of God leads to repentance. Okay, so yes, God is kind and people want a revelation, but who is often the people showing the kindness? It's us. So when we are kind to people, when we are generous to people, it actually leads people to see God in us and leads people to a place of repentance. This has an eternal significance. Righteousness revealed. Right standing with God revealed. See, all of this fits in together. So, what I've often seen is when it comes to our faith, is when we are kind to somebody who doesn't believe, and then another Christian comes and is kind. Do you know the story of the Quakers? The Quakers were so, they started Cadbury's, they started Lloyd's, they started all of those major companies, and they were people who were so generous and so integrous that people wanted to do business with them. Amazing stories, go and read up on it. And I know this applies to deeds, but we're talking about financial resources. When you just go and you bless somebody, I don't know about you, there's a lady in, in, that I work with in Sun International, and she's an amazing lady. And I was having, like I was really tired, and, and, and she could see I was taking strain, and, and she goes downstairs and she buys me a chocolate. Now you, you go, Ugh, chocolate. But the fact that she thought that, the fact that she went and did that, the chocolate meant, on, in one level, meant nothing. But the, the, the act in itself was huge. So now when I think, oh, I'm going to buy a chocolate, I think, well, I must get one for, for Andrea. Do you see what happens is that like begets like. When you start to give and you're generous towards other people, one of the things that has been amazing for me, and, and I... I believe I'm a generous person, is that in this season, the response of other people that I've been generous to has been amazing. And I want to thank you. You know who you are. Thank you for reciprocating. And not that we're in a debtors and things, like I give to Grant and he must give back. But there's seasons where we can give and there's seasons we can't. And we flow in that and we ebb and flow in that. And it's not about, well, you, okay, I gave to you, now you better give back to me. No, God gives the one increase, not people. Here's this for a, a, here is the most amazing text, Proverbs 23, 22. Your generosity will awaken the conscience of the people you give to. How's that? Do the work of an evangelist. Be generous. You're awakening an innate divine consciousness in somebody when you are generous to them. And they will come to know the Lord because of an act that you perform in your generosity. Then here, lastly, if you start this process, I'm going to warn you. God is going to bring you to a place where he's going to ask you to give an extravagant gift. He's done that with Louise and I a few times. What, what are you going to do? When we purchase the land, and God told me the number, and Louise confirmed it. <gasps> really, Lord? I'm not going to say how much it was. Because it's not the amount. But it's extravagant for you. The widow who gave the mite was extravagant. What about Mary? Let's have a quick look. Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet with, his, with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance and perfume. You know, when you give extravagantly, there is an aroma that comes off you that will fill people's homes, will fill this church. 
But one of the disciples, guess who? Judas Iscariot, who was later to, to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So take what you earn in a year. I don't know what perfume would cost that. But a year's worth of wages. Okay, in those days, a denarii was the, 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 the wage that was paid for one day's worth of wage. So 300 denarii, I think they called it, would be regarded as a full year's wage. But think, that's kind of, we don't know all that. But think about what you earn, because that's what God's saying to you right now. What do you earn in a year? Would you buy something like that and give it away? Extravagantly. Because we've got an extravagant God that gave to us. So that's why I'm saying I'm warning you that when you start this process and as God takes you down the line, there is going to come a point that he's going to ask you to give an extravagant gift. This is what's going to happen. Number one, don't do it unless you hear from him. Like the guy who saw Ray McCauley give away a car and then get given a Mercedes and then thought, oh, well, gee, I want a Mercedes too. Let me give my car away. And he's still walking. <laughs> that's presumption. The Egyptian army operated on presumption when they try to go through the Red Sea. It'll destroy you. Don't operate on presumption. Is God saying that? Now, here's the thing. How do I know God's saying that? Well, God speaks to your heart, and guess what? Your immediate reaction will be excitement, not dread. But, but guess what happens after you get excited? <laughs> you go, am I crazy? Like, seriously, would I even think of doing that? God, that, this must be something that I am dreaming up because it's, there's a fear that rises up in your heart. And then what happens is, is now, because the fear rises up in your heart, you start to do the logic thing. That's why my example earlier is if God has said give, don't go and say, okay, I'm going to give it over a period of time. Give it. Because in three or four months' time, you start to logic, let me, let me use a Garyism, you, you logic, logicify it. <laughs> and you logicify it by going, well, maybe God, you know, this, you know, I can do it like this and I'm a board market plan. Ask Louise, my, I try to do, and I've learned to just step back because when I try and do these financial crazy things, I'll end up in trouble. But you try and do all these little gymnastics, mental gymnastics or financial gymnastics to make it all work. And it often bites you on the bottom. Then what happens is you land up in doubt. Did God really say? Maybe this is Satan. <laughs> no, but would Satan support you giving towards a local community so that the gospel would be spread. No, so it's not him. And what starts to happen is as you stay with God and as you keep listening, you land up where faith rises in and you're able to give. Not begrudgingly. Do you know that faith doesn't make sense? <laughs> but it makes miracles. It's interesting that after 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, it's amazing it's 2 Corinthians 10. And what does 2 Corinthians 10 say? Take captive all your thoughts and bring into submission to Christ. Why? Because when we operate on this level, it doesn't make sense. There's no logic in it. And if we start to operate on human logic and human wisdom, we miss out on what God is saying when God says, Gary... Louise, extravagant gift time. 
But Lord, we don't have. No, I'm not talking about millions, Gary. You don't have it. That, give it away. But God, that means, yeah, that's what it does mean. Try out, give me. Have I not said, test me in this. And I will, over, I will cause the floodgates of heaven to open. Now, I want to finish with this story within the Bible. And it's obviously in a couple of places, but in this one, Luke 9. There are 5,000 men sitting listening to Jesus. The sun's going down. These people are patient. They've been there all day listening to Jesus preach, not just 40 minutes like me right now. They are tired and they are hungry. The disciples are getting restless. Everybody's getting restless. They want to go and eat. The disciples come to Jesus and tap him on his shoulder in midstream of sentence, and Jesus gives them the look that your wife gives you. Actually, these people need to have somebody to eat, Jesus. What is Jesus' response? What do you have? As we heard in the prayer meeting this morning, a little boy who's got his packed lunch of two fish and five loaves comes and says, this is what I have. Jesus, this is all we've got. Now remember, it says 5,000 men. So let's add a wife. Let's add some children. We're probably talking closer to 20,000 people. Talking about not making sense. They give it to Jesus. It says in verse 16, He took the five loaves and the two fishes. Looking up to heaven, he blessed it. He broke it and he gave it to the disciples. I want you to just think about that moment. Because, I mean, we, we gloss over that, don't we? You're one of the disciples. Okay, so <laughs> there's 12 of you, remember? There's two fish and five loaves. How much do you think you've got in your, in your hands or on your plate or on your, in your baskets? You've got 20,000 people to, to feed. Can you imagine the first person you go to? Just take a small piece. <laughs> Hey, Tabitha, that was too big. Put some back. Okay, can you imagine that process? And yet, the moment the only time that that multiplies is when the disciples give it away. It doesn't multiply in Jesus' hands. He broke it and he blessed it. But it's the moment that we as his disciples give it away. It multiplies. And we go to the next person and there's still more. And there's 12 baskets left at the end. It doesn't make sense, ladies and gentlemen. It does not make sense when God says do these things. And yet when we come and we give what is in our hands and we say, Jesus, this is yours, and he blesses it and he gives us back to it and we take that seed and we give it away. God multiplies. So in conclusion for this mini part of our series, this is not about finances actually. This is actually our offerings is a state of our heart. And like I've said to you, if you're struggling in this area, start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Start somewhere in your life where you are generous and your first fruits, number one, needs to be where you are being fed. Come and just give it to Rumor. I 
I wonder what Lifehouse would look like if we were a community that excelled in the grace of giving. And if we understood that actually this is more about our own hearts than it is about anybody who's going to receive from us. Because at the end of the day, our reward is not the incidental increase and blessing we get from God. It's actually God himself. God loves a cheerful giver. God is pleased when we excel in this. I want to exhort you. We are great in a number of things, but let's be a community that excels in the grace of giving.